1: From Red Kite Prayer, this is the Paceline Tandem, a special episode of the podcast on Two Wheels. I'm mm. co-host Celine Yeager, and my guest for this episode is Jess Sarah. Jess is co-founder of JoJ. Bars, which are gluten-free, mm. non-GMO real food energy bars that come in amazing flavors like pancakes and bacon and salted chai with chia. Jess is a professional road racer for HB Supermint, as well as an exercise physiologist and a private chef. I became aware of her when her partner, John, the Joe and Joe Jay, reached out to me to see if I was interested in testing some bars because I'm always interested in finding real food based sports nutrition that won't give me gut rot after five or six hours on the bike. I said, sure. I was super impressed with the product. The bars are soft and chewy and delicious and digest easily while providing even long lasting energy, even after many difficult hours of racing. Jess seemed so passionate about her craft, I figured I'd give her a call and talk about how she started developing these bars and the niche she was hoping to fill in the sports nutrition market. Little did I know that that conversation would end up being about so much more than energy bars. Jess has overcome tremendous adversity on so many levels, including crashes, surgeries, and much more. I walked away from our conversation completely in awe of all she's accomplished in her relatively short amount of time. We ran a snippet of this interview a few weeks back on the Pace Line, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to hear it in its entirety. Our connection wasn't the best, so please forgive some of the less-than-perfect sound quality. I think despite the spotty Skype connection, you'll be inspired by what she has to say. Thanks for listening. So you started JoJ. what year?
0: So JoJ, we officially incorporated that in 2016. But I had originally started making the product um, like way back in 2011 in my own oh, okay. kitchen. So okay. it was a while ago.
1: Yeah, that was a while. So you were, you were training and racing. And in your own words, uh, you said that commercial energy bars were largely lacking. And you didn't see many bars that combined great taste and key nutrients. And that made me curious what nutrients particularly that you were looking for. That you weren't finding?
0: So a couple of things, like fast forward back to that time period when Mm -hmm. you didn't walk into like a Whole Foods and see 50,000 options. You saw Cliff Bar, Power Bar, and there was a bar called Bonk Breaker, which I'm sure you've heard of, um, that kind of was the new bar on the market, and my... Really close friend, Leslie Patterson, who's like Xterra world champion. Uh-huh. She's a multi-Xterra world champion. She um, was diagnosed with Lyme's disease that year. And she had been really sick for a while and couldn't figure out what was going on until she started having neurological symptoms. Wow. So she went to a doctor and he put her on a gluten-free diet. And she was like, uh, what am I going to eat on the bike? Like everything we <laughs> eat has gluten in it. And they're really like, you couldn't find gluten free options, but bonk breaker was gluten free. Um, and they were hard to find and they were considered expensive at the time. Right. So I thought, you know what? I have a, I have a master's in exercise physiology. I'm a chef. I'm sure I can figure out how to make something that is gluten free that we can eat on the bike. And we had this joke that what we really like to eat is cookies. And she was devastated. She was like, basically, a cookie is a great fuel source. I mean, right. it's kind of a bad rap. But, you know, the less crap that you have to break down when you're eating yep. something, the more readily it's available. And so the idea behind it was, okay, let's try to actually bake a product that's simple and it's like an actual baked good. Yep. And then the big research back then that – no one was trending towards yet was we can't eat 50 grams of carbohydrate in one little bar. We need fat as endurance athletes. And that's really well known now. But then it, it was not a thing to have a bar with a lot of fat. It was right. kind of like snack wells were big and people were oh my on God, God, snack that, wells you know, like people didn't really know what they were doing but I had an idea of where that was going. And I also knew that like protein wasn't something that endurance athletes really need a lot of during exercise because you don't want to divert energy to your stomach. Mm -hmm. So I thought I have to keep this like low in protein with natural protein from a nut source. And I need to find a way to have healthy fats in it, but also enough carbohydrate. And it was really like I took a pad and a pen into my kitchen and would write everything down like I did it the hardest way possible but it's the way my brain works and I just write it all down make my pan cut them into 24 pieces and then I divide all of the macronutrients the calories by 24 until I figured out like exactly what I wanted what could be digested absorbed and That's what we came up with. And then we started testing them on like before hard efforts or before a swim workout. How does it digest? Does Mm -hmm. it work on time? How does it make me feel? And it just kind of like instantly was really good.
1: What was the first uh, flavor profile? Like what were you working with that first time?
0: The very first one actually was um, the peanut butter chocolate chip. And that was simply by that super easy like it was the closest thing to a cookie that I knew how to make. But Leslie came up with the white chocolate coconut blondie. She said she wanted Mm. white chocolate and coconut. Neither were ingredients that I was a super fan of, but I gave it a try and it ended up being amazing. And then we made the espresso chocolate almond. And that one was actually like every flavor was kind of a recommendation from somebody. Right. So that was a recommendation. And, Yeah. So just that's how they were. That's how they were formed.
1: (laughs) So how long did that process take for you to nail that that down?
0: I want to say it was probably like a good two years of trial and error with developing the flavors and kind of figuring out like what exactly my recipe was to make them not crumbly.
1: Right. Um, Right.
0: But they were rapidly taking off within like the Xterra and triathlon circuit. I was already making pans of bars for people and wrapping them in foil and shipping them like all over the country. Wow. So people heard that I was making them. They were trying them. And I was kind of doing that. Um, and then and then I met John and John and was John
1: my, is your partner. Is, but
0: yeah, my business partner and mm-hmm. friend and business partner. Yeah. So in his background is like he's a businessman. He is a salesman. He's been in marketing. He's He has that brain. And so he saw what I was doing and he saw like what I was putting myself through. And he was like, I think that you have a business. <laughs> You're basically like working until midnight every night, baking these pans and pans and pans of bars. So we.
1: And this was we, in your like, own house, right? Yeah. Were you this doing this in all in your own house?
0: house? Mm hmm. Yeah. And I really regret not taking more pictures. You know, I don't think Instagram,
1: it wasn't a thing like that. I though. Think it
0: was a thing back then. And if it was, I wasn't on it because I'm like yeah. a late bloomer with technology, but I, there was Facebook and there, I have one picture of me just standing with like pans of bars around me. And I'm like basically in my pajamas just like making these bars, <laughs> but I wish I had taken more pictures of the process of how it happened. Um, And what was really great and what saved us is um, because I was a private chef, I had some clients who are co-owners of a company called Mm Sunfood, which is a big uh, raw and organic brand. And so I met with them and they explained to me, you know, if you want to take it to the next step, don't go and get commercial kitchen space and try to you know, have a lot of overhead and buy equipment, we can introduce you to what's called a co-packer. And we Mm -hmm. know someone right in San Diego, and they actually make energy bars, cookies, and baked goods. And they have all the equipment, you can ingredient share. And that, I mean, that's really what did it for us, is we went to this co-packer, and we were immediately able to take my recipe. And we had to do a few tweaks, because at the time, I was still using, I was using eggs, and I was using almond milk. Okay, so there was like some added ingredients where there was like this disconnect for me of how to make them stick together. And this kitchen helped me figure out um, how to make that work in the process of co-packing. But it was, it was interesting because uh, like they really tried to push me into using natural preservatives um, instead of just having the bars be hundred percent natural. Uh-huh. And I resist that um and we what we ended up doing is we ended up increasing the amount of honey that mm-hmm. were in the bars and they just naturally preserve themselves that way
1: oh that's awesome what kind of natural preservatives i'm curious because i've just been writing about that what were you looking at Hmm. Yeah,
0: i think it has a funny chalky aftertaste yeah i just didn't like the idea of using anything i was like why would i do this like i want to be different everyone's using this citric acid and all bars are like these little cardboard things. So I resisted that and it almost didn't work. Um, we had some bars, like they were molding after like two months, but as soon as we, as soon as we sucked moisture out of them and added honey in, well wow. um, totally the problem did an accelerated lab test and they had a shelf life of nine months immediately.
1: Wow. That's awesome. So you could have just yeah. like, done this and, and, and kept the bars in your own pocket. But like, how did, did you, did you immediately want to, I mean, you went from making these for a friend to like shipping them all over the world. Like, did you think of yourself as a business at that point? Were you thinking that way at all? Or you were just like, oh, these people want this stuff. And I guess I'll just, you were selling it, I assume you weren't just doing this for, because yeah, okay.
0: (laughs) I was selling it. And I mean, my profit was sort of low and I was using all of the extra money to experiment with. Um, so I I would say like I never really thought of thought of myself as like a businesswoman or an entrepreneur and I definitely wasn't getting into this to like make a lot of money or have this company, but I think that's where John saw the value in it and mm-hmm. He's really the driving force behind that. And then once I realized that I was making something that just made people so happy that, I mean, that's why I like cooking to begin with. That's why I like being a chef in the cycling world is because – you see athletes come in from a really hard day on a camp, and they eat your food, and like everyone turns silent at the dinner table, and they're just <laughs> like, "Yes, I nailed it," and I just really like that idea of like having a product that was so, so good for you and people that were experiencing health issues, and so I was like, "Okay, I'm on board with this. I I want to do this."
1: Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, I um, I can't remember the one that I tried first. It might have been the apple. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have a bacon. Pancakes Run. and bacon. Pancakes and bacon. That's right. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, I I think what's what's most noticeable about them because I have a very, uh, I have a really sensitive gut. I don't think of myself as having a sensitive gut, but after six hours on the bike, I have discovered that I can only eat so many things. You know, like if, if it, and once it shuts down, as you know, like it's done. Like once it's your stressful. guts, yeah, once your guts starts taking things. So I was super appreciative of the. um The easy digestibility and also just sort of the even energy that they provide. And I was wondering if you could speak to sort of how you came upon, you know, that recipe that was so easy to digest and like provided that nice sort of steady energy.
0: So I think a lot of that was making them so you're using like different systems where you're like, where there is more fat, right? Mm -hmm. So when you're at about 70% of your maximal effort or less, Mm -hmm. you're accessing fat as a fuel source. The issue was is that we all know that we need carbohydrates, right, for intense efforts. We need them for our brain, like, to be mentally acute. And, I mean, I I honestly don't know how people are doing these keto diets, but that's a whole other topic. Anyway, so we know that, but I think that, the bars that were so heavily using just carbohydrates were like, you can't process and use that many carbohydrates at once anyway. So it's causing that gut rot, right? So by taking a little bit of that out and adding the fat in, which is our primary fuel source at about 70% or less of your maximal effort, you're having something that one fat is digested a lot slower so it's sustaining that energy, and it's kind of like if you're thinking about this like line of carbohydrates, like the up and down, just think like the fat filling mm-hmm. in the hole, and the just enough protein to keep okay. you sustained, but not where it's like, because protein is the only macronutrient that's actually digested and absorbed in your stomach. Everything else passes through your stomach, and it's digested and absorbed in your colon, so, or your small intestine, right. so when protein, like something has to go to your stomach to get that protein moving. So I didn't want like a protein bar. And I I really think that it was that simple. Like it didn't need to be anything more overly complicated. It was just kind of tweaking what we were already doing. Mm -hmm. And then really clean ingredients like nuts, we take our peanuts, we grind them, we mix them with oats and coconut oil. So it's all things that like, your body can access, it doesn't have to, like, spend a lot of time breaking it down because it's not processed, there's no preservatives, and so that requires less energy because we don't need to spend energy doing that when we're exercising and we want our energy for our momentum. And, And then just trial and error, you know? Like, I had similar problems as you with a lot of gut rot, and especially in triathlon, like, I can think of a lot of races where I would, like, be in the bushes and the run (laughs) and I was just like this is so frustrating like I don't understand like how I can get to this point and then it's all just like blah and so I mean I had a lot of access to athletes who were trying the product and yeah I I don't think there's an overly complicated answer to it I just think that we were one of the first people to try doing this and again to try baking a product where um, it wasn't just extruded out of a dough and then packaged.
1: Right. Right. Yeah, that's super interesting. And and it, you know, it is, It it's definitely a noticeable thing. Like when you can uh, still find something palatable and digestible mm-hmm. during a long day, that's, that that's hard to find <laughs> you know it's hard to and i and having those different more savory profiles are also kind of nice too because i think we all get a little tired of the sweet sometimes i mean yeah. yeah
0: i think now that our recipes are really we have our recipes and we're kind of you know moving in a good direction with our growth we have a lot of concepts for new flavors that are all going to be savory oh wow. or they're going to be really different um the pancakes and bacon was John's idea and I thought that it was ridiculous and I we had to go to a great lengths to create this vegetarian smoke like it was a nightmare <laughs> at first and I was like this is not going to go over well I didn't really like the taste of it at first and we made a round of them and I brought them out on our group right here that often has like 80 to 100 people mm-hmm. and everybody went crazy they were like this is so different like you have to make this flavor and so that's kind of I see where people are they're sick of the yeah. same things.
1: The same same things and a lot of it's just it's just a different flavor profile, right? And it Yeah. Yeah. Um so you recently partnered with Chef Cycle and No Kid Hungry, correct? What's that correct. initiative? Yeah. What's yeah. that about?
0: So i I got introduced to Chef Cycle for No Kid Hungry actually in 2017. Um, my I believe it was my friend Jeff Mayhem who he's also a chef and a cyclist. He has you might have seen his product. It's called Split. It's mm-hmm. a split between almond butter and jelly or peanut butter and jelly those packets. So he's mm-hmm. making those now. And he's someone that I've known through the chef community and through writing, um, through Phil Guymon. They're really good friends. And Phil is a huge supporter of Chef Cycle for No Kid Hungry. Um, like the majority of the profit, I don't even think he makes any money at his fondo. I think the, all of the profit actually goes to that organization. So they got me, they introduced me to that. And it turned out that the first year that I was able to actually fundraise and complete the Chef Cycle portion of it, it happened right after Tour of California. Mm-hmm. So I was able to build a lot of momentum because you have to raise $7,500 to do the ride. So it's a significant amount of money to yeah, raise. Yeah, um, And it's a lot of celebrity chefs who have restaurants and other ways that they can do fundraising. And I did it basically through the cycling community, through Tour of California fans, and people just following what I'm doing, which is a little different than just being a chef. And so I did, I raced toward California and then went over the next day to Santa Rosa and did chef cycle. And so it's just a pledge to, um, raise the money and all of the proceeds go to different programs of no kid hungry. Um, and they have programs like the morning breakfast program, Mm -hmm. the lunch program, They have like a backpack program where they send home food. So that's kind of how those two organizations come together. Um, And so I've stayed involved with that. Unfortunately, last year, 2018 and 2019 Tour of California is the same dates as the actual ride. So I haven't been able to participate in the ride itself. But we decided that we would start um, aligning ourselves through JoJay with Chef cycle for no kid hungry. So we just have a, you buy something on our website and you buy a box of bars. There's a pop up that says, would you like to donate a dollar? Right. We're not looking for anything crazy, and then we match every dollar donated. And then we do special days like Giving Tuesday. We quadruple match every donation.
1: Right.
0: And and we really want to grow that partnership into something more where it's a percentage of our proceeds going to it. But um, I mean, I have a personal connection um the reason why i chose that um and why it's so important to me is well one like the example that we're setting for kids as chefs cyclists you know pursuing your passion working really hard physical activity and also a lot of chefs are coming it's changing their lives to ride bikes right Mm -hmm. there a lot of chefs are overcoming addiction Yep. Um, alcoholism, and it's a massive wave in the chef industry right now, and I think that it's really cool, but um, I come from a single-parent home, and my mom was a cleaning lady. She raised my sister and myself on around $10,000 a year cleaning houses and apartments, which as an adult now, I just don't even see how that was possible, and she did a fantastic job of it, Um But I was one of those kids that was trying to hide that I had like the free meal ticket or, you know, I was embarrassed because on pizza day, I couldn't get pizza because it cost an extra dollar. And a lot of we we were on um, not food stamps, but we used the food bank. Mm -hmm. So food was dependent a lot on the food bank and then food from the condos that she would clean. So I have vivid memories of like running into these vacation rentals and hoping that there would be, like, ice cream in the freezer. My sister and I would run in, and we'd be like, Did <laughs> ice cream or, like, something that we didn't usually get to eat? Um, and so I understand, like, that it's stressful and it can be embarrassing and that, like, a kid's identity and ability to do well in school can be formed based off of having food and having good nutrition or just the fact that they understand that there's people that care enough about them to access that I think it makes these kids like some of them come out to the rides and it makes them feel really good it makes them feel like there's people who believe in them so that's why it's so personal to me um and why I want to really like grow with this organization
1: I'm totally choked up I'm actually like totally choked (laughs) up that is that's a very um that's awesome that's 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 a really great story and I think such an important reminder to all of us who, you know, I think, I think so often so many of us are so busy trying to stay away from food that we forget there are people that don't have food,
0: right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's actually a really interesting point. I mean, yeah. <laughs> How much sugar is in it? Is it this? I, is it that? It's like...
1: <laughs> yep.
0: <laughs> yeah. Choice, like really. Yeah. yeah, no, I agree with you completely.
1: Thank you for sharing that. I mean, yeah, I I, I, th- I think that's 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 super important. Um, and what a great what a great use of your talents, uh, and, and giving back. So, speaking of your talents, we haven't really talked about you as a racer, though you have you know alluded to some of your races. You are still actively racing, correct? Like
0: I am. I race on the Hagens Berman Superman, uh Pro Cycling Team. So next season or 2000, it's already 2019. I keep forgetting. (laughs) It's my third year. I understand. (laughs) My fifth year professionally on the road. Um, And I'm I'm really excited. We have a great team. So it'll be. So when did you
1: start doing mostly, because you were in the triathlon world too, right? Like when did you make that jump?
0: I kind of have, I have a crazy story. We could go so many directions with this, but I'll try to give you the short, short version. So I, I found triath- I found cycling in general when I was in grad school. I was doing research that required cyclists to come in, do a VO2 max test, put an anal thermometer in, and <laughs> sit on the environmental chamber. <laughs> so my mentor professor suggested that since everybody asked me, have you done this? He was like, you should probably do this so you can be like, yeah, I've totally done it. So I put myself through the protocol and found out that I had this like massive VO2 max on the bike and I did not ride that's bikes. That's awesome. I, I wanted to ride bikes. I saw people riding around here and I was like, that looks really cool. Um, but it's an intimidating sport to get into. So um, I I knew that I had the ability and then that same professor gave me a mountain bike and brought me out on the, their mountain biking team. Where was so that's this? Kind of, that's how I started um, on the bike. And where were you at that point? Um, I was at San Diego State. Gotcha. Yeah. So San Diego State um, started riding mountain bikes, but I read about Xterra in a magazine and it sounded super cool. I read about the world championships and riding on the volcano. And another professor of mine, he is married to Leslie Patterson. And I had seen pictures of her in his office and she looked really badass. And I was like, hey, does your wife coach for triathlon? And so that's how we met. Is she like the first time we ever met was at the pool and she was going to do a swim workout with me and I showed up and she was like, uh, do you have a cap and goggles? And I was like, <laughs> that? like I've never swam in a pool before. And she's like, wait, what? She was like, we need to like totally start. Right.
1: We need to go way back. We need to rewind like, this to square be at zero. Yeah.
0: So she was an awesome coach and I ended up actually On the podium, at the first race I did was the West Coast Championships. I ended up on the podium, got my spot to nationals, got my spot to worlds, and started doing that series. And I went um, three years. I won the Amateur National Championship and decided to get my pro license and race um, the pro circuit the next year. And... I was battling some issues with my right leg, and at that time, it had been going on for a really long time, and no one could help me. I had had nerve studies and compartment syndrome testing and MRIs, and I finally met a sports um, doctor here, um, Dr. Alan Richberg, who suggested that maybe I had iliac artery um, fibrosis. And he said, it's really odd. I've never seen it in a woman of your age who hasn't been riding for years and years. But he, I did testing with a radiologist on the bike and my leg was like 90% closed. That artery was, it had closed and it had kinked over. So I was getting like 10% of the blood flow to my right leg. And at this point. How old were
1: you at this point? I mean, you're like in grad school.
0: I was, so this was the end of 2011. So I finished grad school in 2007.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: So like the end of 2011 going into 2012, we figured this out and, um, I decided to have the surgery at the end Mm -hmm. of 2012 and it was life changing. I mean, I was just, I could barely even walk upstairs without my leg going numb at this point. So it kind of wasn't even a choice for me. Um, so as I was coming back from that injury, I took it really careful, and I started riding on the road and doing some local road races. And I mean, I was like winning everything easily, and that had not been the case for me in the last few years. I had been suffering and in a lot of pain and could barely even complete a workout. And I was like, man, I really like this road racing. I was growing my chef business, and it was took a lot less time to do one sport. <laughs> yes. So- I was like, this, I think I want to try this. And there was a Michael Marks used to be the CEO of spy. He now runs the Belgian waffle ride. Oh, yeah, Uh, yeah. He lives here locally. And I pretty much owe it to him for he basically founded a spy racing team and took the entire marketing budget to send my team around the country so I could race these big races and get exposed to all these professional teams. And it worked. I mean, I had an incredible season in 2014, racing as an amateur, was on the podium at like big pro races, and was like, this is it. I found my found my calling. I, every team had offered me a contract and I signed with the 2020 team, mm-hmm. which was 2016. And I had this idea in my head, still humbly, but I wanted to be on the Olympic team and they were sending me with the national team to Europe in the spring and it was just like, oh, I finally made it. And going through that winter, I started to have symptoms on my left leg and within two weeks I knew immediately. I went back, saw my vascular surgeon. He's like, Yeah. He's like, this uh, one's Gotta go. Is it genetic? I mean, is there a <laughs> genetic component? There has to be. They haven't quite pinned it down yet, but it, there has to be some sort of um, inflammatory or autoimmune disorder because really anybody that does an endurance sport would encounter this. So your psoas muscle gets huge, yeah. pushing against the artery. And for some reason, people who have this, the walls thicken to protect themselves and eventually they'll kink over
1: right gotcha
0: and I think it's way more I mean there's so many cyclists now who are coming up with this problem and having this fixed immediately um so I went through the surgery to have it fixed and that pretty much took me out of the 2015 season I raced some but it was like a slow comeback and then I was coming back in 2016 really strong. We had just won Redlands. Um, We went to Europe, came back, won Redlands, went to race Gila. And there was this huge crash of like 60 people. And I got slammed into a concrete wall um, on this bridge. And it actually was the weirdest crash that you've probably ever heard of. It happened in an instant. I was on the front of the field and we were doing about 45 miles an hour on a false descent. Mm -hmm. And washed us. And so I got slammed into this wall, but I got flipped in a way where I turned around and I must have used my hand to block my face, but my legs went through metal rebar that was sticking out of the wall. So I was impaled. Oh my God. Broke my hand, arm and wrist. And the metal went through only the muscle on my right leg, but it broke my leg in two spots on the left side. And it was like... Um, it was bad. Like I think it
1: sounds I- really, really bad. When you say <laughs> impaled yeah. and a bunch of broken bones, that's really bad.
0: It was like that basically, even the men's peloton that rolled through after us, they remember it because I apparently was still on the ground and I was screaming. and I thought I thought that I would never go back to racing, not because I couldn't make a comeback, but the comeback from that required so many surgeries. Like basically a full reconstruction of my wrist twice because the first one got really messed up. Um, They had to go in and irrigate my legs. It was like really serious situation with metal going into my legs. And I was in so much pain that going to the bathroom was like an hour-long process of figuring out how to get my body out of bed. And into this bathroom and like I was just like there's no way I can ever race a bike again I could never put myself at risk but the human mind is a funny thing how resilient it is because you have this way to erase that pain somehow it's like the pain of a race you know what I mean like mm-hmm. how many times have you ever been out there and you're like, I'm never freaking racing. Oh, all 100%. the time. Every, <laughs> every single time. time. This is the last one. And then somehow like three days later, you're already like, hmm, as soon actually as the, yeah. yeah. So I don't know what's wrong with us, but I kind of like it.
1: <laughs> but you got over. Um, I mean, I would think that the, the mental part of getting over something like that would be harder. Is it just because that the crash wasn't. It was so strange. I mean, do you, were you able to sort of get over the fear? I mean, you've got to be scared as hell it would be in a pack again, or no.
0: I think, like, I had had another weird crash where my tire came off my wheel. Um, that's kind of, I mean, I broke my collarbone and stuff, and it was insignificant. And so it's like the two times I'd ever crashed weren't my fault. Right. And through going through my artery surgeries, that... Then this thing, I I probably could have went to a really negative place, but it's like I woke up and was in the best place I'd ever been in. I was so happy and so positive, and I don't really know what it was. It was like all of a sudden I just realized like, okay, this is not going the way that I had planned, but I'm going to be really miserable over the course of the next few months if I don't get my head on straight, and I had a ton of support, like people who were willing to do things for me and offer me help financially. And, um, it ended up being like oddly a very positive experience. Um, and I think it helped me let go of a little bit of anger that I was holding on to for things just not working out. Mm -hmm. I, I kind of just had this like knot in me that was like a little bit bitter. um, And so I think it kind of helped me release that. And racing in 2017, I definitely gained strength back and had a good season. But you're right, it wasn't until this last year in 2018 when I finally went back and raced Hila again, the Peloton actually let myself and my teammate, my old teammate, who's now on a different team, go to the front of the field and ride over the bridge first together. Because Mm -hmm. she was involved in the crash also and was really hurt. Um, And I didn't think that I was attached to that crash or anything. But the second that I did that, I completely changed as an athlete this year. I mean, I went from, like, kind of racing here to, like, racing back here and enjoying racing. Not going into every race, holding my breath, wondering, like, wonder if this is going to be the next day that something happens. right.
1: That's great. That's really uh a... So, so how do you um how do you how do you fit it all? I mean like are you what's your business plan and how does that match up with your racing plan right now? Like what what does that look like?
0: Well, it's definitely I guess the unique thing about women's teams is like most we make my salary, we all make the same salary um on my team, um mm-hmm. which is thousand dollars
1: so what What's that what's the amount i'm sorry
0: seven thousand
1: gotcha okay
0: yeah so everybody that hasn't always been like that um i have made more money but i like that our team is paying everyone equally i think it's kind of cool um so every clearly every single person that i'm racing with and almost every single if you go into the women's peloton you're going to find phds you're going to find teachers you're going to find all these unique people And so on my team, it's kind of like um, we race, we train, and everyone is back at the homestay working, and it's very motivational. Mm -hmm. We all support each other. Um, I'm exhausted a lot of the time, and it's really hard to balance. And I've actually been working with, like, a mental um, coach here, like a mental health coach um, to figure out how to beat myself up less about not being able to be perfect at three things a day because that's my problem is, like, I want to be a chef, I want to be Joe J. Barr, and I want to be an athlete, and I don't want to neglect anything on a given day, but it's just not possible. Right. So it's like John is an understanding business partner, and he takes on a lot of the work when I'm traveling. My boyfriend, Sam, um, is involved in the company, and he basically... Not basically, he, he works for free. So we have like a third body helping us do social media, picking up orders from the kitchen. like. So there's, it's kind of like the story of any small business or any small brand. There's a lot of help that you don't see going on. And I, I think I work really well when I'm busy. And so I just, I arrange my schedule where I can get up, knock out some work, get my training done, Um, and then go back to the office, pack orders, or if I'm traveling, I'm coordinating with John on email and then the cooking work I do, I know kind of in advance, um, how to plan that throughout the year. Um, so it's definitely a balance and it's, it's not perfect, but, um, I've made it work for a little while, (laughs) hoping, hoping to make it work this year too.
1: Excellent. Um, I thank you for taking the time to share your story. I, I, I I knew this would be an interesting story about uh, energy and energy bars, but it's been so much more and I really appreciate uh, everything that you're doing and and what you're contributing to our sport and beyond.
0: Thank you. I'm really Um, honored to be interviewed.
1: (laughs) Well, um, when's your next race?
0: So we race, um, Valley of the Sun in Phoenix after team camp, which is February 15th, 16th and 17th, I believe. And then we go to Redlands is super early this year. Um, it's March 13th. Oh, that is really, yeah. The first big one. And that'll be special. So this in 2018, I actually won the crit at Redlands. Um, and then the sprinter's Jersey which all, it all happened in like a breakaway scenario where I was like racing for our sprinter and then it it happened. And so I think for me, like, as far as when I was making a comeback to do that in my hometown community, was really awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, Redlands has always been one of my favorite races. So I like that it's early in the calendar. Um, we have an advantage living here because I have nice weather to train in.
1: Right. Totally. It's, it's yeah. uh, nine degrees here. So it's, it's quite yeah. different.
0: It was like probably 70 degrees here today.
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> that's a little different. So, well, I'd, again, I appreciate your time and um, best of luck and keep making such great products. I want to thank our guest, Jess Sarah, for joining me on the Pace Line Tandem. You can learn more about her at her corporate website, jojbar.com. And that's a wrap for the show. I hope you've enjoyed it. And if you have, I hope you leave a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next week, I'm Celine Yeager, inviting you all to enjoy the ride. Thanks for listening to the Pace Line.